shout out to, uh, to Caroline Pesker last week, who at a moment's notice was asked to be our AV engineer, not just tech, but engineer, and she did a fantastic job, and I just want to say thank you, Caroline. You, you always rise to the occasion uh, when it comes up, and I'm grateful for that. So many others um, just jump and serve. I love this church for so many reasons, and one of those is just how quick people are to jump in and handle stuff when it needs to be handled. Exodus 2, last week we finished up in this series on Exodus, we talked about this sinister plan that Pharaoh had of kind of opposition and destruction to the people of Israel, and it looked as if there was no hope, and now we get the ray of hope. Now many of us know the story, right? This is not probably new information for most of the room, but I'm going to ask you to do something that is difficult to do. I'm going to ask you to try to imagine that you are discovering this in sequence, chronologically, that you don't know what's happening yet. I know you do. But uh, there's some joy in that reading this. There's also some challenge in that in reading this. Last week we saw that the Hebrew boys were uh, going to be slaughtered by Pharaoh. He was going to dump them into the Nile. We, we looked at the note on the Nile and thought probably two reasons. It was convenient. The second reason was they thought it was a god, so they could say they were sacrificing uh, to a God. The Nile was seen as a giver and a taker of life. And now we come to the birth of Moses. And if you don't know anything, right, if you don't know anything, if you were reading the Bible chronologically and came to the story, you would say, oh, well, here's one of the Hebrew boys that survived. And all Israel would be right there with you. They don't know that the baby in the bulrushes is their redeemer or their savior, as it were, their deliverer. They don't know their deliverer has come. It's an interesting passage to read that way. Let me challenge you in your Bible reading. I know that you're reading through passages sometimes. You've read them multiple times in your daily reading, but ask the Lord to give you fresh eyes when you come to the text. Ask the Lord to help you discover it, to be nourished through the familiarity, certainly, but to let you see it as if reading it for the first time. That's what the word behold means to fix your eyes upon and gaze intently. I want us to behold the story and the preparation of this leader we see in Exodus 2 this morning. It doesn't take much to recognize the key influencer last week in the story was the devil himself. Pharaoh's plan was what? Remember, it was slavery, savagery, and slaughter. The enemy's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy and if this was your first reading of Exodus, it would, without any spoiler knowledge, you'd be right to anticipate that God needs to do something and God is about to step in. Chapter 2 gives us that glimpse of hope. One of those Hebrews, Hebrew baby boys is spared. We don't know this yet, that this is the preparation of Israel's deliverer. But the Bible student recognizes there are no surprises here. God is in control. God is guiding. He's directing. And he's working out all of these things for the good of his people. And I want to tell you, church family, God is still in control. He still knows what's happening. He's still guiding and working and working all things out for the good of his people and the glory of his name. No matter how ungodly the seed of the serpent, attempt to thwart God's plan, as we saw in chapter 1, we will see well that things play out beautifully because they cannot and will not succeed. 
This is still true today. It's a fragile hope we're going to discover here in chapter 2 because Israel doesn't know that any of this is happening. And when Moses gets removed, as we'll see, he's not really aware of what's going on back in Egypt. It's a powerful text. Let's dive in and see this God that not only cares about Israel as a people, but individuals that make up the people. Let's look at Moses. If you're taking notes this morning, I got a few for you. We won't be, well, I don't want to say we won't be long. That always gets me in trouble. We won't belabor any points that uh, don't need belaboring. How about that? But I want you to make some notes. First note, if you're looking at capturing some of these verses together in verses 1 through 11, I want us to notice Moses, the fragile infant, or you could say fragile child, if you want to. The key word there is fragile or uh, fragile if you are from... Sorry, that, that landed okay? All right, good. I think it's Italian. No. Fragile. Notice his parents. This, this fragile birth that we have. Jeremy just read about it. There are a couple things I want you to notice. You can write these down if you want to, but they're just for observation. You can make the little note beside the verse if you want to. Take that pen out, write in those Bibles. It's okay. Or you can follow along with the notes electronically. Notice his parents in verse 1. It it says in verse 1, and I will do this with every verse, don't worry, but it says, a man from the house of Levi. A man from the house of Levi took as his wife a Levite woman. It's significant that Moses was born a Levite. The tribe of Levi was later to be set apart at Mount Sinai for particular service to the Lord, for carrying holy objects of the tabernacle. They were also set apart as substitutes for the firstborn. So they were to carry a burden nobody else could carry. (laughs) And they were also to be among the firstborn. Now, I'm trying not to get to the preach part of this too quickly in application. But some of you are way ahead of me and already see Christ in that. It's just beautiful to carry a burden that none of us could carry. And to serve as the firstborn. We know he served as the firstborn of the resurrection. They were, um, we Westerners, we like to define people as to what, what do they do. Just the other day, uh, was talking with, had some friends together, and two were meeting each other for the first time. The one stepped away, and the other adult man said, what does he do? That's what we say, right? It's how we get to define each other. In Western culture, that's seminal. It's germane to our identity. We, at least we, we've made it that way. In Eastern culture, it doesn't work that way. They're not so much enamored with what you do. They want to know who you are. They want to know what family you belong to and where's your land. That's a big deal. And so Moses here, if the Hebrews reading this text, it matters that Moses is of the tribe of Levi. It's significant. It shows that Moses was being set apart for God's special service, and this tribe would later be set apart. By the way, side note, Uh, Grace Covenant, one of our missionaries, I'll let you think through the names of our missionaries and see if you can guess which one. I won't say them uh, just to protect those in sensitive areas, but one of our missionaries is Jewish. Uh, He's obviously a Messianic Jew, but he's a Christian, loves the Lord, but he is of the tribe of Levi. He can trace his lineage back to that. I'll let you figure out who that is of our missionaries if you're thinking through those names. Um, I want you to notice his parents. It's important who his parents were. It's important, too, the plan that they put in place. We noticed last week that the midwives were the only ones named in the plight of Pharaoh and the midwives. Why? Because they were protectors and defenders of of life. And so they got their name mentioned. But here we see the plan of his parents trying to 
make sure that they protect Moses' life. The loving mother and father stand in the gap for his life while the weight of Egyptian power raged against them. Yochbed and Amron hid their son to protect him, to preserve his life. The loving heavenly father frustrating the enemy's plan again with his hesed love for his people as a people and as individuals. There is a plan in place. Moses was hidden for three months, the Bible tells us, by loving parents. Second part of his plan, he was sent off by faith. She wanted to ensure that the child would be discovered, not just hidden. She didn't just hide him to go get him later. She sent him off by faith. Think about it. Look at the verses there. She wraps him. She could hide him no more. She takes a basket made of bulrushes and dabs it with bitumen and pitch, and she puts him in it among the reeds by the riverbank and turns it loose. What she could not be certain of is whether or not the person who discovered the baby, think about this, she had no way of knowing who would discover this baby. She had no way of knowing if the person discovering the baby would be a person of compassion, have any maternal instincts. I would venture to say she certainly didn't imagine in her wildest dreams, I would venture, there's nothing in the text to indicate, that she thought the house of carnage savagery, slavery, and slaughter. Pharaoh's house would be where Moses would find refuge. Ultimately, she puts this baby in this basket, and here's the thing I want us to see. Parents in the room, those of you that are single and, 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 and just love when I give family and parent illustrations, hang on, just give me a moment. <laughs> she puts this baby in a basket and ultimately entrusts him to the Lord. We're called to do that every day as parents, but some of you in different cycles and different stages of parenthood have done that more so than some of us with young children. My oldest is 14. We've sent him away to camp before. We've sent him to parent, grandparents' house to stay for several days. But we've not packed him up in a car yet and said goodbye. Some of you have had to do that. You entrust that child to the Lord. What great faith. It's my desire that as Grace Covenant Church, hear me church family, I want all of us to be so passionately in love with Jesus, so committed to the community of Christ that we have here together, that as a church, we take some of our best that God gives us at Grace Covenant and send them to the hard places where Christ has not been named, trained to make disciples for Jesus. Wouldn't it be awesome if the children sitting in the pews in here were shepherding congregations, sharing the missionary message, a part of God's rescue mission for humanity. Wow, what an opportunity we have. We see the plan here in place, doing as much as they can, but ultimately God is in control. Notice still here in this phase, the protection and provision of God. Moses floats down the dangerous Nile. God sovereignly cares for this little boy. God keeps him safe from crocodiles, <laughs> hello, from starvation, and from drowning. The thing didn't tip over. I don't know that she was a boat maker, but she made something that floated. And God in his kindness made sure. It reminds us of the deliverer who survived the, another ruthless dictator. Just as Moses lived in spite of genocide, again, our mind goes to Jesus who lived through the baby-killing leadership 
of Herod. We see this plan still unfolding. He is noticed and nurtured by Pharaoh's daughter, verses 5 and 6. It wasn't just the Nile River, but the royal house that, God would, that would bow to God's providence. I love that. The very same royal house which had decreed death was made an instrument of life for the glory and the purposes of God. She came from a savage and heartless royal family, and yet here she was, a girl with a watchful eye, a tender heart, and even a maternal disposition. The story goes on. She, uh, Moses gets to reconnect with his mother and family for his care and nourishment, and his mama gets paid for it. Not a bad setup. What an incredible turn of events. You can't make this stuff up. Can you imagine with me for a moment Jochebed is walking down the street, right? She's walking down the street touting Moses. Another uh, Israeli family would come up to her and say, oh, what a beautiful baby girl. Now, why would they say that? Because he had long flowing hair. No, no, because, of course, no sons would be out in public view. (laughs) And her being able to apply, oh, no, 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 this is my son. And them saying, oh, oh. Um, shouldn't he be hidden? And her responding, certainly not. He's the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. They can't touch him. What? This is awesome stuff. This baby spared, put in the bulrushes, now under the protection of the house that was persecuting them. Can I remind you for just a moment that God's ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts, says the Lord in Isaiah 55. Romans 8 reminds us that we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things are working together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 1 Timothy 1 and 2 reminds us that whatever we commit and entrust to the Lord, we can be convinced that he will keep and guard In Moses' childhood, we notice his parents. We notice the plan in place. We notice the incredible protection and provision that God had sovereignly ordered for him. But still, humanly speaking, it was a fragile childhood. So many things had to line up perfectly for Moses to just survive. Brother or sister, friend this morning, God has a plan for your life too. There are moving pieces and people that you may or may not be fully aware of, but God is working all things together for his glory in your life. Trust him, obey him, delight in him, dive deep into his body, the church. And whether you see it or not, God has got this firmly in his grasp. So Moses grows up a bit. Jeremy read the passage for us. Probably like many of us, as soon as he gets a little older, he gets into a lot of trouble. Second point I want you to write down if you're making notes in the side there somewhere. I want you to notice Moses here as the impulsive failure. I don't know if you're picking up on this, but this is pretty awesome leadership qualities. I said this was the development of a leader. We've seen fragile, and now we're seeing failure. It just keeps getting better. (laughs) Though Moses enjoyed the privileges of the Egyptian court, he never quite forgot his Israelite heritage. He winds up killing an Egyptian while trying to protect a Hebrew. In verse 11, look, he sees the injustice. Do you see it there? He sees the Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his 
people. He takes matters into his own hand in verse 12. Look at what he does. He looks this way and that. I love the language there. He looks this way and that. Well, you don't look this way and that if you're supremely confident in what you're going to do and you know it's the right thing. He looks this way and that. You know by his actions that he knew what he was doing was wrong. I fast forward just a bit, remind you that he buries the body in the sand because he knows he's done wrong. Verse 13, he goes about his business the next day just as if nothing has happened. Right? He goes out the next day and two Hebrews are having a dispute about water rights and maybe land rights there. And Moses has dubbed himself the problem solver. Hey, I worked something out yesterday. I worked something out today. Steps into it. Um, it reminds me of Samson following a catastrophic failure and lapse of judgment in his life. The Bible says he went out as before and not knowing that his strength had left him and wound up bound and defeated. So Moses sees another instance where he can, watch this, I can't do air quotes big enough, help. Do you know people, there are people in your life that are always trying to help you, give you unsolicited advice, that's usually not always awesome. Um, these, we call them the folks that are the actually folks. You know these folks, right? You say something like, ah, and something, something, actually, <laughs> and you go, <laughs> Lord, touch him and use my hand. No, don't say that, I'm sorry. But, but here Moses is trying to help again since his first endeavor was so successful. And look how they respond. They're like, who are you to judge? Are you going to kill us too? Oh, he's been found out. The thing that he thought he had hidden, basically what they're saying is you're not fit to lead us. You're not fit. It doesn't mean he has to be perfect or sinless. We're not saying that's a qualification for leadership or servanthood. But he's had a colossal failure and he thinks he's gotten by with it. And I'm going to tell you something. When you can sin openly with blatant disregard for the law, when you can sin and trample underfoot, I believe, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and think you can get by with it, you are not fit to serve and you are not fit yet to lead. While some may say that Moses had the right to kill this man as a son of Pharaoh, his own conscience shows that he's wrong. It acts re this act reveals he still had a lot to learn before he was ready to lead. Moses thought he was in the clear, but listen, this is a verse we quote often at my house. Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sins will find you out. Every Christian parent has that verse. Like, like we walk into the room like that with that verse. Does any, nobody else? Proverbs 28, 13. Here it is for us adults. You ready? Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will time obtain mercy. My seventh grade teacher told me more times than I care to admit standing behind the pulpit to you this morning. No matter what you say or do, someone is always watching you. Moses flees to Midian. The fact that Moses killed a man when given an opportunity, the fact that he hid it and thought he had gotten away with it, the fact that he fled as soon as he was mocked and taunted, we saw that in verses 15, 14 and 15 in Jeremy's reading. All that points to the fact that he was not ready to lead, but his preparation was just getting started. Can I say something to you, dear friend? You may be called by God to engage in some fantastic adventure. You may be called by God to do great exploits on his behalf. You may be called by God to be deployed to a hard place where Christ has not yet been named. But hear this quote. God is more interested in your sanctification than he is your gratification. Look at it on the screen. God desires your sanctification 
more than your gratification in your current situation. Few things school us as intimately as failure and pain. Are we patient? In similar periods of training, God uses these times to shape our minds for future usefulness. It's a mark of His great love for us. The American way, the Western way, and I'm going to tell you something too. I'm sorry, it's an unbiblical view of Christianity way. It says that every hard thing that comes into your life is obviously from the devil because God wants you to have an easy life and have it made in the shade. There's only one significant problem with that. It doesn't line up with this. Now, I'm not saying that we're miserable. We have joy, unspeakable and full of glory in spite of our circumstances. In fact, that trial, that obstacle, that thing that you're dealing with is either a pit for you to fall into or it's a pulpit for you to proclaim the gospel from. People are watching you live this thing called life. And they're looking to see, as Leonard Ravenhill says, the world's not in need of a new definition of Christianity, just a real demonstration of it. And we have the glorious privilege together of living this out. You can't do it alone. It takes us together. We see Moses fragile, as a fragile child. We see Moses as a failure. First chance he gets, he's failing. And now the first confrontation he has, point three, he's fleeing to Midian. Moses flees to Midian, verses eight, or 15 through 22. I won't read every single verse here for time's sake, but I want you to go back and read this passage with these headings. I think you'll see some interesting things. So Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. The Midianite's name comes from the fourth son of Abraham, his second wife, because one of you are probably going to ask me that after service. Uh, some of the teachings of Abraham probably were with the Midianites, Josephus tells us that the Midianites lived around the Gulf of Aqaba. That's not just in, you know, uh, the movie Aladdin. Anyway, um, it's in the Gulf down there. It's north of the, or, I'm sorry, south by southwest of the Dead Sea in the wilderness, if you're looking in your maps, in your Bible. The Midianites were primarily herdsmen. They migrated with their livestock. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you to tell you they were nothing like the Egyptians. This was not how the Egyptians lived, moved, traded, or fared. They were also international tradesmen. Moses is sitting at the well here, and the daughters of Ruel, we also call him Jethro. He's got two names in the Bible. Is that a mistake? No. One relates to his priestly role, and one relates to his actual name. Here's the beauty of that. We don't actually know which is which. It's either Jethro's, either his priestly name, or Ruel is. But you know what? He was called Ruel and Jethro. They're the same person in the Bible. So he's... His daughters have gone to draw water to care for their father's flock. A group of shepherds comes up. You see it there in the text. Let's read verse 16. He's got seven daughters. Verse 17, the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stands up and saves them and waters their flock. That is a short verse. It shows an incredible character development since he left Egypt. Do you notice this? They come up, Moses intervenes, but this time he does it with wisdom. He doesn't kill anybody. <laughs> that's a good start. That's a low baseline, but that's a good start, right? You didn't kill anybody. Good job, Moses. Way to go, buddy. 
So they come up, Moses' approach is already showing he's teachable. Notice the saving that he does. He sees women who are victimized and oppressed by shepherds as they drive them away from the water. He stands up for the persecuted and rescues them from the oppressors. That's a big character development in his life. He was moved by that earlier when he saw the Egyptian persecuting the Israelite. It's already there. It's ingrained into all of us, that sense of justice. But it was acted out poorly there and now rightly here. He takes the side of the weak and the oppressed, and this will serve him well when he begins to serve the Hebrews later on. Not just the saving, but notice the serving. I know it seems like an afterthought, but do you see it there? And watered their flock. This is not something that was normal. This, my friend, is servant leadership displayed right here at the well in Midian. Good news travels fast. The daughters go home and tell their dad, as good daughters should when they find a man like that. Come on, dads, yes. Okay, so they came home to their father, verse 18, and says, uh, they tell him all the story. He says, how have you come home so quickly? Verse 19, they tell the story, and I love verse 20, and he says to his daughters, where is this man? <laughs> where is he? Why did you leave him there? Um, I want to meet him. Last week, we explored the fruit of wicked rulers. Notice here the fruit of servant leadership. This humble act of servant from the former prince of Egypt, watch what it does. So then he comes to their house, uh, verse 20 at the end of verse 20, says that he may eat bread. Verse 21, and Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. I'll come and pack that verse again in just a moment. But I want you to notice something. Servant leadership not only got him some bread, but he was also rewarded with marriage. Can I say something to my single friends in the congregation and watching online? If you are in the market, hate the phrase, but if you are in the market right now for a husband or wife, Maybe quit looking so hard for a husband or wife. Stop swiping left and start serving the Lord. And run for Jesus as hard as you can run and then look around and see who's running with you. You might just find a team member, a co-laborer to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the ends of the globe with together. Be a servant leader and watch God supply your every need according to his riches in glory so notice this though we've got he's fragile he fails he flees and now he's a family man so we see Moses now the family man verses 21 through 22 I don't know like in ministry we like that in family but I'm not sure if you were applying to lead over a million people out if you were about to lead an organization of about a million people strong they're like well, what are your qualifications well I had a fragile childhood I failed the first chance I got I left as soon as I was confronted and I decided family was more important than business when do I start I don't think you're getting hired I'm just it's just a knee jerk for me I don't think that's the case Moses settles with Ruel's family in verses 21 through 22 he was settled and content before he is rewarded with a bride he marries Zipporah and with the Father's blessing, they have a child together. This is lovely. It's a lovely finish to a story. And like this would be a good story. Here's one of the Hebrew boys that escaped, that was spared. Again, imagine yourself not knowing the rest of the narrative. Part of you, while you're reading this, you come to this point like, great, this is working out great for this guy, Moses. 
What about all the slaves back in Egypt? What's going on back there? We'll get to that in a minute. And what does this have to really do with anything except to show that God did care about an individual, which is special? Let me give you just um, one quick lesson, and then I've got two key lessons from it. Can I just remind you that what we see here is that the Lord still loved and cared for Moses, even in the midst of colossal mistakes and failures? Can I tell you that God still loves and cares for you? Even if you have just stumbled, bumbled, and fumbled in a way that you're hoping nobody finds out about, the Lord still loves you, and He cares for you, and He's calling you to Himself. I mean, if the Lord can love David through some of his colossal failures, David was good at sinning, but he was better at repenting. Moses, who humanly speaking had messed the whole thing up, finds safety, home, and family awaiting him. Understand this now. At this point in the story, this providence that he's experiencing has been undeclared. He doesn't know what's going on. God has not yet revealed himself to Moses, but can you see how active God has been in Moses' life? Wow. Let me give you two fast key observations and applications from the lesson this morning, this whole passage. Number one, here it is, patience is essential in leadership development. Patience is essential in leadership development. There's no way in which we can read this story and say there's a quick or easy way out of or even through the sufferings and difficulties of life. We'll see in chapter 3 that even when Moses goes back to Egypt, the way is still hard. We want something quick. We want it simple. We want an instant coffee solution with a robust coffee flavor for our spiritual dilemmas. Like, let me just tell you, occasionally, once in a blue moon, it, it's like that happens. The Lord does do it. You're like, wow that, that, wow, that solution came out of nowhere. Can I just tell you, though, that's not the rule. That's the exception. The book of Acts explains to us that Moses spent 40 years in Midian. James Boyce said it this way, Moses was 40 years in Egypt learning something. 40 years in the desert learning to be Nothing and 40 years in the wilderness proving God to be everything. He spent two years of preparation for every one year of ministry, if you do the math. By living in the wilderness, he learned to rely on God. By having a family, he learned to lead, guide, and disciple those that were closest to him. By working with the Midianites, he most likely learned to develop skills as a shepherd. I don't know where you are in your servant development process. Let me just tell you something. While you're developing, God is still using you. It doesn't mean you're on pause or behind a desk and unable to be used while God is developing you. God is always developing us. Pastor D, who stepped down from leading this church as senior pastor uh, just a year and a half ago, is still in the development process. We all are. We would sing that old Sunday school song. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. That's how the Lord works. Be patient. We face the demand for persevering in faithfulness. Be patient and be faithful in the waiting and in the working. Principle number two. This one's a little tougher. (laughs) Other people are essential in your leadership development. Wouldn't it be nice if it could just be you and Jesus? You ever feel that way? Like, oh, just me and the Lord. 
I don't have to be around all these crazy church people. Guess what? You're crazy too. We're just all the right kind of crazy. It's good stuff. It's okay. God uses other people in our spiritual development. It's another reminder that we're not saved by the Lord to live in isolation. The Bible is replete with examples of our Heavenly Father using key people in the life and formation of character in His people. Can I tell you something? God doesn't always use easy and wonderful people to develop us. Sometimes He surgically places difficult people in our lives for His glory. One observation about the people God used to spare Moses. You ready for this? It's a long list of women. Incredible, faithful, life-giving, life-loving women. It was the midwives in chapter one that started the rescue of the babies. It was Levi's daughter in verses one through three here, while Moses, that she gives birth to him and hides him in a culture of death. It was Jochebed's daughter here in verses four through nine who watches out for the baby in a basket, places herself in the right place. It's Pharaoh's daughter who cares for him from a helpless baby to a growing boy. It's Ruel's daughters who rescue him by the well. And it's Zipporah who takes him as a husband. This Bible is a Bible that celebrates life and it celebrates the key impact and role of women in culture since its beginning. This is not a chauvinistic book, and don't let the liberal folks tell you that it is. In its earliest chapters, God is appointing men and women for his glory and for his ultimate purpose. Bottom line, this world and your family and your path and your life may seem disconnected, but it's not outside the control of our Lord. God is working even when you don't see it, when you don't feel it, when you don't hear him, when you don't sense him, and he is constantly working on us. I don't know exactly where you are in your development process. I know where some of you are. I'm getting to know better and better as your pastor. You may still be on the Nile in a basket, totally dependent on others at this point for your preparation. You may have men and women pouring into your life and you really want them to share something big and exciting with you and they keep gnawing away at your character development. Trust me, that's big and it's important. You may be the person that seems to have answers to everybody's problems <laughs> that you see around you but you're still too impulsive, reflexive and easily unhinged to be useful yet. You may think you're running from your problems, even running from your calling or from your destiny. You may, friend, even think you are running from God, but God in his providence has you here this morning running right toward him. All of us who are in Christ long to be in the center of God's will, and all of us in this building need to understand that God's chief interest in our lives is his glory and our becoming more and more like Jesus. Let's stand and pray together, please. Father, we love you so much. We're so grateful for your providence, your care, and your protection in our lives. We see it in the story of Moses. We know this story, many of us, but the reality is when we walk back through it at this pace, we discover aspects of it that teach us some things. We teach us that you can use fragile people. It teaches us that you can use 
what the world would look on and say are failures. That's not final with you. If our tendency is flight or fight, you can still use that, Lord. And it teaches us that you use families to make an impact for your kingdom. Father, you are preparing us in this stage. These last months haven't been wasted our life on pause. You are working on us in this supreme weirdness that we're all experiencing right now in the culture. I pray that we would be mindful of the fact that there's something bigger at play than just our comforts and our circumstances, Lord. As we were reminded by the text this morning in Moses' life, Egypt is still raging. There's still a people that need a rescuer. May we be mindful of that even as we worship you. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.